Welcome back to the Media Community Club podcast. I'm John Kissel. With me tonight is Pierce Bauer. What's up? And Sean Riley. Hello. We are uh, breaking from our usual format of discussing three movies uh, that we pick over the course of a month that we uh, reviews of which we post on our website, MediaCommunityClub, and then we uh, get together as a podcast to discuss said three movies. Uh, we're also off of our normal House of the Dragon beat, which we're sticking with the Every Other Week uh, episode recaps uh, at, at, at this point in the season. Uh, what we're doing tonight, we're bringing back an old, old, old format. I believe the last time we did this was in 2018. Uh, we're just doing a very simple what have you been watching. We're just going to run down uh, the various movies and TV shows that we've been watching lately uh, that that's most spark our interest or that we most want to talk about. And it's as simple as that. I frankly don't know why we haven't done this in four years. I take full responsibility for potentially the easiest prepar- preparation for a podcast, I'm not doing that more often. So sorry, guys, my bad. But uh, we're jumping back in tonight. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, the FX slash Hulu. I don't know what the difference is anymore. There may not be a difference. Uh, Mike, which is not autobiographical because Mike Tyson has loudly disavowed this show. Uh, it is run by Craig Gillespie, who is best known probably for I, Tanya, But he also w- uh, had a hand in Pam and Tommy from earlier this year. So his thing is take famous people, potentially misunderstood people from the 80s and 90s and give them a very meta uh, deconstruction of their most famous life events. And I'm four episodes in for Mike. He is about to uh, commit the crime that he went to jail for, uh, the rape of a woman whose name I don't remember off the top of my head. But uh, it's somewhat annoyingly framed by Mike Tyson's real, not real, but like it's the actor portraying Mike Tyson doing the show. He did like a monologue uh, touring, like theater style show. And the TV series is him dictating events as this onstage uh, persona of himself. And it's gone all the way back through his childhood and his ascension to uh, heavyweight boxing champion and his marriage to Robin Givens that lasted very briefly and his relationship with Don King. Uh, It's... Not the most interesting thing necessarily. I have uh, watched. Uh, I'm 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 fairly familiar with with Mike Tyson's past and his career arc. Uh, I watched the 2009 documentary Tyson, which he was, uh, which he did give his endorsement to. He it was basically just a a first person interview of him about his whole life. So I I get the the uh, the highlights and the lowlights thus far. But what's keeping me around is a lead performance by Trevante Rhodes, best known for uh, being the oldest version of the main character in Moonlight. He is just having a lot of fun with the character. He does a lot of ain't I a stinker aside to the camera that are really charming. He is a, a giant man. And there's a lot of charisma in the performance. The show itself is fine, but he's going to push me through to the end. I have no idea how much more, how many more episodes there are. I kind of assume... Eight, but that's just a total guess on my part. Why have you guys seen Mike? I, I saw the trailer for it, and I I was shocked by it because I it, I didn't know that it had a like I thought this was like a glorif- I just from the trailer that I saw like out of the corner of my eye like I thought it was like a glorifying biopic esque of Mike Tyson, which I thought mm-hmm. was strange. 
so it's interesting to hear that it's not that and that now i'm more intrigued with it i've seen the trailer and my interest in it is that uh you know i grew up when mike tyson was the baddest man on the planet and that part is interesting to me uh, but i probably it's probably one of those things i'll just never get around to watching um i'll forget about it by the time i get around to it um is are we over three in terms of the subject of this uh director's shows uh ha- having anything to do with it like i know pam and tommy obviously were very upset by their yeah. portrayal and what's, i'm pretty what's sure the other one you're thinking I, ta- I tanya oh was, yeah i think I tanya think harding's she... pleased with that right uh, okay i, I want to say she showed up to premieres and like red carpets for that movie so she might have been on board and I got a feeling there's more of this kind of thing that Craig Gillespie has done that we're just not thinking of right now. He just keeps coming back to this well. And, I mean, there's a lot he can do. There's a lot of, like, scorned or misunderstood characters from the 80s and 90s that, I mean, he can run this through the next decade. Just pulling Well, and I don't think you have right. to be incredibly creative or original to make something interesting out of sure, yeah, popular, scandalous figure. Um, I mean, you're not creating anything from whole cloth. You're just, you know, throwing an interpretation on it. I think that's especially the case here where it's all, it's very, it seems to be very much based around the stage performance of Mike Tyson. And it might just as well be taken verbatim. Like the, I, I suspect that the format of the real show, the real theater show is exactly the same as it is in the TV show. So it's just like copying, pasting. Basically, I don't I don't feel like anyone other than Gervonta Rhodes is especially trying very hard in uh, at, le- at least behind the scenes. He's I think he's spectacular. Uh, the, his makeup could be better when he's older, Mike Tyson. <laughs> but like prime of his life, Mike Tyson, he's he's really he's really great. And I would recommend this show only for him. Uh, Riley, so, what's on your list? First thing. Well, John, sorry. Can I butt in? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to mention we forgot some of Craig Gillespie's other maligned figures throughout history that he has reinvented in movies. Uh, notably, his most recent one was Cruella. Oh, sure, yeah. If you want to count that. We also have um, the famous baseball pitchers that were featured in the John Hamm movie Million Dollar Arm. Remember oh, that movie? Yeah, that was that was all anybody could talk about in 1994. Exactly. And then his uh, his directorial debut, the, the much maligned Mr. Woodcock. I don't know how we forgot that. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, Barbara Walters. Shot, right. alive. I, from what I hear, Jasper Woodcock in, in class, we have made up since. But that, you know, that character, that character on screen was divisive for sure. Yeah. I mean, who could forget their uh, their emotional reunion at the Golden Globes that year? <laughs> uh, Riley, what's at the top of your list? Now, my, my list is not in order of quality by any means. The first one I have jotted down is The Sandman, the Netflix show, uh, Neil Gaiman uh, property. As we've established before, um, I am not the reader in the Mediocre Movie Club, but I do feel like I have my pulse on pop culture, and I know who Neil Gaiman is. I know his reputation, all this. But I'm kind of over for 2 on his adaptations on the screen um i gave american gods a shot a few, few years ago um i think that was on stars or hbo or mm-hmm. something yeah stars it was it was okay 
there was, it, I felt like it had potential, but there was something off for me that kept me from continuing. Um, well, for Sandman, it was just one season so far. Um, it was, you know, I found it because it was one of those top trending on Netflix shows in the U.S. at this time. I watched the whole season and, you know, it's, it was, it just wasn't good. The, the lead character, what it's about, it's the Sandman is, you know, the god of dreams. So he's, you know, has this dream wet realm that he's repairing after he'd been imprisoned on in the mortal world um, by hunting down, you know, some of his nightmares that are out there. But like it, the main character is just so lame and boring and brooding and sad um, that it's hard to enjoy the show at all. I don't know it. It just wasn't for me, um, but I watched the whole season, and since now that I've seen the whole season, I'll probably watch the next season too because I do stuff like that. I don't care if things are good. I like to show thing. I like to watch things that I can play Minesweeper on my phone while they're sure, on. Sure. Um, so you know, not a recommendation, but I watched it. I only watched one season of American Gods. Uh, what brought me to that show? was the combination of Ian McShane and Brian Fuller immediately after he did, after he wrapped up Hannibal. Uh, and there was some of that, there was some real solid McShane stuff in American Gods. And I think even more so, every not every episode necessarily, but there was enough in that first season to keep me watching based on, sometimes the show would just lose, lose his mind and, and put some really crazy shit on screen. Is there that... I, I mean, I, Brian Fuller's not involved with the Sandman, but as far as like the source material, that's what that and American Gods have in common. Is there at least like enough bonkers shit in the show to keep you entertained? Well, one episode was about cats dreaming, and it was like in that animated, almost almost that uh, you know, a few years ago it was popular. There were commercials that where it was like an animated drawn over version of an actual filming hmm. um wanting to say keanu reeves was in a movie that was animated that way yeah uh but, rotoscoping okay yes um one of the episodes was like a rotoscoping cat dream and it was about cats and it was okay. weird as hell um i don't know if there was like bonkers visual effects i wanted to say it was it was just this sad, sad man that is the god of dreams, and he, you know, it's the the start of it was decent. Like he got imprisoned by this guy who was into witchcraft, and you know he was stuck on Earth for a hundred years. So his, you know, the the dream realm was in disarray, and his nightmares were loose, uh, doing things they weren't supposed to be doing. So like he was collecting his powers back but like it i don't i don't know it's really hard to explain what would draw you to continue watching it um other than you know it was a short easy watch and i was playing minesweeper so once i was pot committed i felt like i needed to watch the whole season hmm. it seemed like the kind of thing they could run forever like you could just have more nightmares to catch out in the world which seems like yeah, good so, both for netflix yeah, so, and for minesweeper yeah, his siblings of the you know the gods of the endless are like desire and despair and death and there's probably another D character as well. Oh. So the, I think the, the strongest episode was probably you know when he was hanging out with his sister Death 
and they were just kind of walking around cruising and you know she would she embraced her role as the angel of death and it wasn't you know your grim reaper style she was like comforting someone as they you know passed on and like would just like kind of hold their hand or whatever and was describing to them what she got out of her role and that was interesting you know that was a, a good character i couldn't tell you who the actress who played death was um but uh majority of it was just his brooding and you know it it, it got old by the end of the season um how boring the the lead character was any interest in this beers you know it's been, it's been recommended to me especially in like like I, I teach high school literature so like a couple of their teachers or people I like have mentioned this book series before and Neil Gaiman, especially like he's a total blind spot for me. Like I've never read any of his stuff or watched any adaptations. Um, but like looking at it, like I'm sure it's got something to it, right? Like the fact that it comes from what is like a, a pretty well admired source material. Like I'm sure Netflix has a somewhat decent track record with this of like, shows that i don't necessarily am intrigued with but like grow really huge or re really distinct fandoms like the umbrella academy show is like one i've never watched that feels similar and witcher which i know is a video That's game adaptation as a comparison yeah yeah like they're good at kind of they these aren't like game of thrones level franchise where like everyone's watching them but they seem to latch on enough so that frankly like the goal is just keep people subscribed and so they do this where they they find these kind of medium-sized franchise genre pieces, you know, and, and we'll talk a bit more about like other streaming services swinging for the fences with some of that stuff. So like, it's interesting that they're able to kind of keep, they've got this genre kind of figured out, it seems like. Yeah, I watch uh, a lot of fantasy um, magic Netflix series. Mm -hmm. Like Sabrina was really good. Um, mm -hmm. Lock and Key, um, I enjoy. I, I haven't started the second season yet, but the first season I thought was good. Um, Dream's actor is Tom Sturridge, and the actress who I liked as Death was Kirby Howell Baptiste. I, I couldn't tell you who either of those people are. Yeah, I think the first guy played an Asian man in Cloud Atlas, perhaps. That's, That's Tom something. Hanks. You're you're thinking oh, Tom yeah. Hanks. <laughs> Excuse me. Actually, it was Halle Berry. Uh, I <laughs> that up. Uh, Pierce was at the top of your list. Top of my list. Let's see. What did I put first? When uh, I say the, top, I mean, what's the first thing on your list? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the first thing I've got on my list is Industry on HBO. Uh, I don't know if either of you have been watching that. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So it's in its second season. Um, I think it's getting towards the end of it. it um, I just watched this week's episode right before this, actually. Um, I truly, right now, I think it's the best thing on TV. Wow. Uh I thought the first season was phenomenal. Like one one of my favorite things from that year, I think that was two years ago now, if not last year. Um, the premise in short is the show follows a group of like young, um, not like interns, but like first years or what they call it. Like they're in their first year of a job in like corporate banking. So it's set in London and it follows specifically, the, the protagonist is like an American girl a uh, black girl who is kind of a fish out of water within this, you know, British high class like banking world. Um, and the show like kind of oscillates between like 
the, the horrors of this industry, like, like to use the title, I guess, the horrors of the industry and also the like thrills of the like high level competitive, like, you know, the, the show is all about kind of class and meritocracy and like reaching the top. Um, but I just think it's, it's thrilling in, in like a episode by episode plot manner. Like I, I would compare it like tonally, like it's, it's certainly like similar to succession in, in the world it's depicting of like this high finance world, but it's got the like office drama of like a madman in a way. Hmm. But then the characters are like, it's like skins or something where it's like these British young adults who are like doing lots of blow and like fucking and like really over sensationalized like lifestyles, but like also shows the horrors and the downfalls of that. Um, so I, you know, I think it's, it's got that like madman level of plot that it's not like, like it's not super flashy. Like it's very like jargony. And like, frankly, I don't even understand like, 70% of what they're saying, but you still just kind of like follow along and like are invested in the characters. And then like, it kind of pairs that really well with like these really thrilling scenes of them. Like, I guess I don't, you know, I don't even know the terminology, but like there are these scenes every, every couple of episodes where it'll be like them trading on the floor where they're like cutting between like different phone calls and like shouting out, like how many quid they're selling shit for. And like, I have no idea what they're talking about, but it's, like, the equivalent of the, like, it's been compared a lot to, like, it feels like you're watching, like, the bank heist in Heat, or, like, a Michael Mann film, but it's just people on phones selling stocks, I think. I think they sell stocks. I really don't even know. <laughs> but it, it does this thing of, like, it combines, like, that world with, like, a really well-done character drama, like a Mad Men or something along those lines. Um, but a, but a lot younger skewed than Mad Men, um, so yeah, it's I, I I would I would recommend it if you like Succession or any of those prestige kind of TV dramas. I think it fits. It it will be kind of remembered in this decade as like right there with some of those shows. But mm. um, I think it's really it's my favorite thing I'm watching. It's like the thing. It comes out on Mondays for whatever reason. I guess in preparation for Game of Thrones coming back, they couldn't use the Sunday slot, but it's the thing I look forward to most every single week. Uh, does like, so, there's some of that like opaque finance stuff in succession too, but I feel like it's never that important mm -hmm. like to your enjoyment of the show. So like the same thing with industry. Yeah. You kind of like, you don't really understand. Like if you asked me like to go word by word of what they just said, you know, I could not tell you, but then like by the end of a scene, you know that like this character just got screwed by this other character. Like, you know what's happening. You just might not know like how or why it's happening, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it does not take away from my enjoyment. And if anything, it adds to it. Cause I just, the show clearly the two guys who created it, um, I forget their names, but like they worked in, the industry and then like went into television and it's it's got that thing of like it is such a hyper specific like look inside this like ecosystem you know like it really captures like young british finance bros or you know and beyond like it just 
you're in this world and even though you again like you don't maybe know what they're talking about you feel akin to to the experience I know the ringer is out of its mind about the show. Uh, but I don't even know that I've ever seen a trailer. I like I I know it exists because they bring it up every so often. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that I've ever even seen like a trailer for I couldn't tell you who's in it. Yeah, I it's feel like the, HBO is following it very much. Yeah, that's it that's that's what I think too. Uh, I think the first season I could be wrong. The first season may have started airing in like spring of 2020 so it went okay. maybe like yeah. so it might have just that might have been part of the under the radar aspect of it i do think there maybe is like an arm's reach thing with some level of the jargon like and 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 maybe also just the subject matter in general like it is a little edgier than like a netflix drama maybe or, or something like that mm-hmm. um but it's it's, it's succession would be the comparison point there where it's like it's the, the type of humor or drama that it's it's creating or, or doing if you're into succession and you can like buy into that world then this show does that similarly and, and then to your other point the the cast is mostly young and again like young being like in their 20s like young british actors the lead is um Oh shoot! What's her name? Um, she was just in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I don't know if you saw that. I did. Um, yeah. She is. What's her name? Hold on. There were several <sighs> people in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that I had never seen before either. Yeah, and I don't. This actress had not been in much before that, but now, uh, Mahala Harold. She's. That's her name. But the um, the only like other recognizable cast member that I that's in the show is um. Ken Ken Logue, I think is or no Ken um shoot what's his name he's so in Lost if if you watch Lost mm-hmm. he plays Miles the like he he comes in later in the show the Asian guy who parachutes onto the island I think I think I know what you're talking about yeah he and I don't know him from anything else but Lost because I love Lost but he gives like a really excellent performance like real scene stealing like the first season especially he was like a a guy that's like oh this guy found his role ken lung sorry ken lung uh this, it, and so besides him i've never seen any other actor in the show before which i think helps it in some way but hurts the marketing but his, his performance i think the emmys just happened so i, I can't say mm-hmm. it deserves emmys but like he, it's the type of thing where you like you watch and you're like oh wow like this character actor like found his role like it's so good one of the categories for the emmys uh was it was like one of the mini series categories it was five people from white lotus and mm-hmm. three people from dope sick i think mm-hmm. so i think the emmys only watches like a dozen shows <laughs> the yeah we could the emmys is a fascinating camel you know like i i always look at it as like there's no person in the world that this is a representation of the television they watch you know Mm-hmm. Like there's there's nobody out there that thinks like Ted Lasso season two was the best comedy, but Succession was the best drama. Like that that person doesn't exist anymore. But it, it, industry, I would say to tie us back in, is like a show that just gets overlooked there, because it's just the landscape is too vast. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. Uh, my next thing is another FX slash Hulu show, uh, Welcome to Wrexham. So. 
Uh, Ron McElhaney from Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Ryan Reynolds, uh, the movie star slash gin impresario. They bought a bottom-of-the-barrel English soccer team, uh, the Wrexham. I can't remember exactly. The team in Wrexham. Uh, it's a very old club. The, um, the third, I think they, they say it a lot, like the third oldest continuing sports club in the world. Uh, they have a nice stadium that's kind of crumbling around them. But the point is that they're in the they're in the worst of the worst, and these two Hollywood guys uh, have bought the team, and it's a documentary series about them struggling to get promoted into the next league. They're they're in five of five, and then the Premier League is is at the very top, and Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, their dream is to get to the top. Uh, the two the reason this show is made, which is those two guys, uh, they are by far the least interesting part of the show. Rob McElhaney especially is he is clearly aware that he is on camera promoting a business venture and he is personalityless and uh, nondescript, which is strange coming from a guy whose like famous character is really the, his only character, except for perhaps the guy that he plays on Mythic Quest for Apple Plus, which you know, uh, I was that show. I was really hoping you were about to say his his one episode uh, stint on Lost. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I assume he gets eaten uh, by a polar bear. I don't know. Uh, that character on Always Sunny is extremely memorable. He is he is just completely dead on the screen in this show. Ryan Reynolds is marginally better. He's having fun with it. I think probably because this is just one venture of many that Ryan Reynolds has going. Movies just being one of those several things. The show is interesting because of the people in Wrexham that the uh, documentary filmmakers are interviewing. A lot of sometimes uh, Rob and Ryan won't show up in the show, but for like a few minutes at the very end, as like some decision needs to be made, and then the rest of the episode has been spent getting to know the people of the town, some of the players and the coaches. And that part of it is just far more interesting. So the show is like a version of the Premier League or the English Soccer League equivalent of um, Hard Knocks or something like that, which is fine. Um, that part of the show is really successful. I do know how the season ends because it's, you know, very recent history. It's But it's going to end extremely dramatically. So that'll be, I think that'll be fun to watch as the show goes on. And it seems like Wrexham is doing quite well this year in whatever league they are in to avoid spoilers. So season two, I'm sure it was probably on the way. Uh, Riley, you're the big soccer guy out of the three. I've of us, watched I think. a couple. I've watched a couple episodes of the show. Um, I'm definitely interested in it. I would like to watch more. It's it's uh, a lot of cuss words are featured in the show, which makes it something that I have to watch after people go to bed. Um, and I usually reserve that for shows that have content matter that, you know, Game of Thrones style or awful stuff that I can't watch while people are up anyway. So I that kind does of, kind of seem like a missed opportunity where like this, it, this could have been like a big family type show, but, but yes. They, yeah. There's, there's blue there's collar no Welsh need. people and Ryan Reynolds. Right. I mean, they could, but you know, they could bleep all the f bombs if they wanted to, and mm -hmm. it's it could be a good show that Kellen could be playing toys while I watched it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You know, Rob 
Rob is looking at it not only as I think not only as a business venture, but I do think he's genuine in the way that he describes his, you know, fandom for the Eagles and um, feeling somewhat uh, of a kinship with the people of Rexon once that you know once they identified that this would be the type of uh, team that they could invest in. And, and Ryan is, you know. I'm throwing money at it. You mean Rob's the one who's got the heart and soul, so I'm just going to crack jokes when he seems like you put the camera in front of me. It's fascinating. (laughs) Like if if it goes if it turns out bad, I he he just won't care. Whereas Rob McElhaney would be like, well, I guess always Sunny is going to run for ten more years now (laughs) because I yeah. I mean, Rob will just be heartbroken through the whole thing, and Ryan uh, on to the next. Yeah. (laughs) uh it it, for 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 my money it is it is like the person on the ground uh i've been watching a lot of welsh soccer like national soccer the national team national highlights uh if they beat the u.s in the world cup i'll be fine with it that's not going to bother me very much they're charming people the welsh at least as far as their soccer highlights are concerned uh sean next thing for you um next one i have is the bear i believe yeah the bear um hulu um i don't know about a small uh italian sandwich restaurant in chicago italian beef um main character is a michelin star chef um world renowned and his older brother is the owner of this Italian beef shop, uh, commits suicide. Um, so he comes back to run the Italian beef shop. And, you know, it's one of those shows that has a, you know, very close, you're a part of the kitchen camera style. It's kind of hectic and fast paced. Um, the first episode where it kind of established your setting and who these people are. Um, Mindy walked out of the room after 10 minutes and said it was giving her anxiety um, and she couldn't watch it. Um, I never worked in food. Um, you you obviously did quite a bit through college. Mm-hmm. It feels very authentic. Everything I've you know read about it, has, I mean, it gets gotten rave reviews from chefs, um, but just the characters, the uh, performances, I think, everybody seems very genuine um it's it's an a a plus show um season one uh is you know completed and season two um spoiler alert season two appears to be that he's going to close the well he's closing the italian beef portion of the shop and gonna open his own restaurant in its place um but uh it it was great. Um, I, I had seen and heard good things, and then uh, Tom Topper sang its praises enough for me to give it a shot. And in the same five minutes it took Mindy to walk out, I was locked in. This is the second time the bear has come up recently on the Munich Movie Club podcast. Uh, but the last time, Pierce was the only one that had seen it. It came up in our best 2021 or 2022 so far show from a couple months ago. In the meantime, I have also seen it, and I completely agree. The show is awesome. I totally get Mindy's anxiety. I had uh, restaurant server stress dreams 
for probably five years after I stopped working in restaurants. It does very much get into your brain, uh, the the stress of it all. And uh, the end, I really love the ending. <laughs> the ending is awesome. This is probably my number two show of the year uh, through September. Um, but if you caught me at the right moment, it would probably be number one. Pierce, you were right. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, everyone. I think it, it hit, you know, like lightning. Like, I think everyone watched it and loved it so it you know it's just it it's a good show uh help me clear something up since this is the second time we've talked about it so i don't <laughs> care about spoilers or in general there's a fun i, no I think i know what you're gonna ask uh why was the money socked away when he owes all, at least the equivalent of that much so oh, i have an answer okay please so to me, um, older brother was, you know, everybody acts like, yeah, Mikey was fucked in the head. He was depressed and all this stuff. He was borrowing the money and then working with this uh, tomato sauce canner to stash it away to pull his little brother out and create a restaurant for him. He was borrowing the money from his cousin so that, my, so that Connie could open his own restaurant in Chicago. But the cousin still expects the money back, right? Fuck the cousin. <laughs> Fuck the cousin. I mean, that sounds That's like a very it. John Bernthal thing to say. And a very strong strategy that the show may likely take. <laughs> so they, I, they can always I, yeah, host perhaps. more bachelor parties. <laughs> I've, I've thought about this a lot, too. And I've had people that watch the show then talk to me about this also and be like, wait a second, what? I, I don't know what's the right answer here, but I... The thing I've I've come to, I think, is that is it possible that that money that he was stashing, because don't they reference that they were like selling he was like selling drugs behind the restaurant or something along those lines? Yes, the cousin was. Is it, is it is it possible that's the money from that that he was keeping off book, so that it wouldn't I don't know would you know because he was illegal or whatever or just to not have it taxed or something so that then. That money could then be used, I guess, to pay back the cousin. I, see, I, I also don't totally understand what I where the money came from or why it was stashed. Yeah, here's the thing about that's the why pair. that's why I think he was setting it up as an investment for his brother because I mean he the note to his brother was all about you know hey mm-hmm. check out these cans and I think I think it was a setup. There's someone early in the season. Maybe you remember Riley or Pierce. There's someone early in the season who's like who was trying to push the tomato sauce. Cousin. That was cousin. Yeah, because cousin but he was, was doing. I feel like he would have taken the. He would, he would have taken the money. He <laughs> he just wanted some spaghetti. If that's the case, okay. The thing about the bear is, I don't give a shit. Honestly, that that ending scene is so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, like the letter. To the tomato sauce, to my favorite Radiohead song playing, to Same. a giant mess of all of it. Uh, I don't give a fuck. That's a small plot thing. Maybe, sure, maybe season two is Oliver Platt like trying to wring however much money it was, 200, 200K, out of a new, uh, out, of, out of the main character's new restaurant. Maybe it just doesn't come up again and all this money was scrolled away and like the new show is getting this restaurant off the ground. 
that'd be fine. I don't give a shit. The show is great. <laughs> and like, I don't want to get hung up on, on the small stuff. Uh, I'm going to go again just because I have more stuff uh, than the rest of you guys. My life is well, smaller. Before you do, uh, my favorite character is the fat guy who repairs thing. He's great. He's like, he just wants to be a part of the team. He's so lovable. Yeah. Just let me, let me cook something. Let me put something on the stove. I'm not asking for a lot here. <laughs> but, my, but my favorite scene was when uh, cousin Ricky was uh, yelling at the weirdos who were there for the uh, um, video game tournament um, and just screaming at them and threatening them left and right. And it was like, now, all right, fuckers get inside. You have to order some food and stop scaring the regulars. Yeah. His, his worth is dressing down incels. So, okay, we'll keep this guy around. <laughs> one, of, one of the great TV greetings ever is when he walks into the restaurant and says, like, what's up, you fucking replicants? <laughs> like, what a, <laughs> just an insane line. <laughs> I mean, it's so strong a role that I might stop referring to him as the guy who ate out Brian Wilson's daughter's ass mm-hmm. girls. In the meantime, on a, <laughs> on, a, on a perfect transition from eating ass to a Holocaust documentary... Uh, the next thing that I've watched is a movie, is a very short documentary, like 70 minutes or so, called Three Minutes, A Lengthening, and uh, that's kind of a funny title, but the documentary is about uh, the the documentarian unearthed some footage from his grandfather, and uh, it was from a trip in the late 30s that he took to Poland. He had a camera. A lot of people in the village that they visited had never seen a camera before. So the whole town turns out and he is just he's trying to film the buildings. But uh, just there's a lot of kids jumping to try and get into the frame and posing and smiling, making funny faces and eventually just gives up and is like, all right, I'll just film the people in this town. And it's three minutes of footage and that's it. And the movie starts with that three minutes playing out in its entirety and then the movie is is about who are these people, what happened to this town, what is this town, where is this town, uh, because uh, the grand uh, the person who filmed the footage is long dead, and they just don't really have any information. So like using the people in the town and the architecture, the documentarian is able to figure out what town it is. Uh, turns out that of a three thousand Jews in this town, only a hundred survived and survived World War II and the Holocaust. And uh, the documentary then becomes about tracking some of these people down. Uh, There is some luck there. But what's actually on screen, you never actually see anybody in the present day. It's just the footage chopped up and re-pictured or or, or uh, re-run through the documentary. Or it's... At one point, it's like an individual breakdown of all the uh, of all the unique faces that show up in the in the footage. A very powerful and straightforward idea that is uh, one of the best documentaries I've seen recently. Three minutes of lengthening. Excellent movie. Briefly played at Midtown Art Cinema here in Atlanta. It was just me in the theater. I kind of love that when that happens. Got the whole theater to myself and take in this like really really impressive and vital like piece of history that this documentarian just dug in and uh, pieced together this again, vital thing that he just found in like his grandparents' attic, just an incredible accomplishment. 
any comments, interest in three minutes of lengthening? This is a very John so pick. This, so two questions. So first, how it came on your radar um, and what made you decide to go to it? But then the other question would be, since this is came from filmmaker just finding the finding footage in his grandpa's attic um was he already a filmmaker and this pushed him in that direction or or did this project just kind of come out from that and he then made a film based on it um for the second question he he, it's described in the movie i can't remember exactly but he did contract with like the various Holocaust uh, survivor organizations, uh, Simon Wiesenthal is the is the big one, I think. Simon Wiesenthal might, might be more about hunting down Nazis, but w- one of these, uh, one of these like Jewish memorialist associations, uh, they I, they put him in char- they put him in contact with a lot of people. Um, I want to say, I want to say no, this was not like his main uh, profession. And then how it got on my like this this topic is very much in my wheelhouse, sadly. Um, I'm not only because I'm a middle aged white man who's interested in World War II like that. That's just going to intensify as I get older, I would imagine. Um, but the like the historiography of this, and like the breaking apart of like distilling this gigantic event of World War II and the Holocaust down into the down to the individual level like that is something i'm just tremendously interested in not only in world war ii but uh i feel like i'm a giant bore a lot of the times when i talk about history but especially like contemporaneously like we're we're in the middle of living through like major events and i am just always interested in how anybody is interpreting what you know, in like 50 or 100 years is going to be like, what the fuck was happening in 2020 or in 2021? And like, what was the average person thinking about? Like, it's going to be written about in like these very broad, um, dry, uh, trend-focused textbook style of writing. But like, people were alive and people experienced it. And that's just always a more interesting level of history for me. Uh, and then... I mean, I've, I'm always looking at like what's playing in theaters, and I, this I knew that this had been extremely well reviewed, and that's generally how it gets on my radar. And I mean, a short runtime of like 70 minutes never hurt anybody's interest in going to see a movie. Like 70 minutes, I will go see that whatever it is. That's generally my rule of thumb. <laughs> All right, let's transition to uh, something a little lighter, probably Pierce. What's your next thing? Um, hmm. Yeah, we we can go lighter. Um, I'll talk about. Here's a movie I watched recently that I thought was really bad, and that was uh, on a Friday night when I had nothing to do. I put on Thor: Love and Thunder, and boy, did I think that was. I thought it was just absolutely bad. Like. <sighs> Like, just a totally, and I just, I use this to describe, I don't like the Marvel movies very much. We've slagged on them a whole bunch. Yes, and I usually, I usually come to the term, like, soulless. Like, they feel like movie, a movie made with absolutely no, like, intention behind it, besides just, like, 
regurgitated humor from the last like Taika Waititi Thor movie and it's just it's like a totally like flaccid just like like the movie is like serving some as some connective tissue because that's all these movies are right it's just like getting you to the next thing that they're gonna make but like it seems like the Marvel franchise is in a decline or at least a place of like it's directionless at the time it feels like and this movie really felt that way for like besides i guess they had spider-man come out last year like thor feels like the other biggest franchise movie they've had or franchise property because they've also had the tv shows now and it just was like i thought it was just poorly even by like marvel movie standards like poorly made like the editing and the way everything looked and just the like the way the jokes were like landing was like all of it was just so like stale like and and from something that you know I don't whenever the last Thor movie Ragnarok when that came out like you know we mostly myself included were like oh this is like refreshing and like uh, finally there's like a filmmaker in a Marvel movie with like their own voice and point of view and it's just it's just so crazy to me that like in the in the second of his movies that, that that just went totally flat like it just whatever the spark was was just so lost and i i think we talked about this on a previous pod maybe but it just was like maybe it was just me and you ranting to each other after a pod job, totally but like, it's just like <laughs> natalie portman is not but she's real bad she she's is not as a, bad as she has ever been right she's not a comedic actress like that's like you know the the marvel movies have a tone to them and like a you know that robert johnny jr like inspired like quippiness and it's just like they've chosen to make you know the whole thing of like make a movie star funny versus make a funny person a movie star and like just the most apparent like sore thumb i've seen in a while was natalie portman in the movie like so so bad yeah, uh, I thought The Eternals was a bad movie. This is the worst thing that Marvel's ever done. It's so, it's just so lazy. The the flop sweat is just, like, coming through the screen. Nobody yes. has any interest in anything they're doing or saying in the movie. And, like, even if they were invested, like, this this phase of Taika Waititi humor and tone does not work with a guy <laughs> does not work with a movie where like the villain's daughter dies in his arms in the first couple minutes and Natalie mm-hmm. Portman is like s- s- badly suffering from cancer throughout the movie it it's totally it, it cannot in any way <laughs> reconcile any of that uh I thought Christian Bale was pretty good as the villain I thought he was trying at least but uh that's pretty much the only good thing I could say about it. I think the last time the three of us were on, we talked about Taika Waititi. Um, That's right. Yeah. Maybe maybe on the downhill or, or and or needing somebody to rein him in from time to time. Um, Pierce, your comment on making a movie star funny versus making a comedic actor dramatic. Um, I I think history has shown that the a lot of comedians are a lot better actors than actors are funny people. Like, 
it's yeah. if you if you can be funny, you can probably also act. Mm-hmm. Here's something that really annoyed me of many things about Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, it is clumsily progressive in a way that feeds into all the worst things that are said about woke Hollywood. Like this is the movie where they're. Uh, where like pre- kind of everybody's in a gay relationship or an LGBT relationship, but it's awful. And <laughs> I don't know if Batgirl was going to be good or not. Who who knows? But the studio and the creators and the creative people behind it would have dined out on the, like this is a female superhero and like these movies do still have to be good. Mm-hmm. That kind of does still have to be the most important thing. You can't hide behind. Heimdall's uh, transgender son, and uh, and that covers up for the fact that your imagining of Thor or of, of Zeus is a guy that carries a literal lightning bolt. Yeah, that I thought that's. I don't want to get too deep into this movie because it was bad, but like, yeah, that scene and like Russell Crowe was like, was just like out of, I don't know, like a like a. I don't know who are the, who's the the Fairly Brothers. Like I just thought that like that sucked. Like it was just like a bad two thousands comedy. Like like at times, like when like when Zo- or uh, when Thor's like clothes get blown off, I was like, this is the bit. Like this is this is what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> These like, like horny gods faint because they saw a dick. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just like. I don't know. Just I, I've. We should. Oh, I, it's, they actually adjourn to an orgy in the movie after this scene. So, like, yeah, calm down. You know, overall, it just like. I think I was, and I've always. I know I always sound like a dick, and and I, this happens with my students a lot because like, they they love the Marvel movies, and then they ask me if I like them and stuff, and I have to like feign some interest and not just be like a a cynical dickhead to them and be like every every movie you love sucks but like they it's 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 tough though because it's like i think earlier on in the in the run of like up until i guess endgame or whatever it was like serviceable like i at least there was like a big picture you know that it was like all moving towards something or it was all connected but now Mm -hmm. it just if i were a marvel diehard i don't know how you're looking at this last run of movies and tv shows and and feeling confident like it it yeah. It looks like a fucking These, the, like the stingers up. are are like who 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 agreed that any of these plot continuations should happen. Like with yeah. Eternals, we're gonna get Harry Styles as Thanos' brother and Patton Oswalt as his like foul mouthed troll friend. Who are any of these people, first of all? And like second of all, Hercules is like the singer for the Thor uh, Love and Thunder. We're we're gonna continue. Uh, doesn't Chris Hemsworth have anything better to do? There's nothing else he could do. He's gonna just gonna keep doing these movies. That's where like, I'm that, at. That interconnectedness is, I I think that did like cover up for a lot of flaws, but now it's totally gone. Yeah. There's just nothing driving any of this forward. And it's like, and I, as I, I get more interested, as I age and get more interested in World War II, as all middle-aged men must. Uh, I'm getting really close to just shutting the book on Marvel. It, I think what they've really failed at for me, and I think they had better, there's some instances of this earlier on in some of the other movies, but what they have not grasped, in, especially in this post 
end game phase is how to make like a one off movie. Like they just can't do it, you know. And like I think like well, they lost the ability to do it because they have done it before. Right. Like like again, like Thor Ragnarok, I think worked in that way where it was like a departure from the larger story, both like stylistically and plot wise. Like Black Panther to a degree was like we're gonna make our own thing. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, like they've done it i guess and those are probably the three best examples but like this one just like if there isn't a larger plot engine like moving these characters like it or or you know these movies that are really just episodes you know like i don't see why anyone keeps watching them but that's just me i guess i don't know people they still makes the all the money like this is still a huge movie so i don't know yeah and people well, like this. Forever one. looks pretty good. I've heard we talked, I think, about this maybe off pod, but I've heard tale that this it was a slapped together, similar to what how I feel Thor, Love and whatever came out. Like it apparently it's pretty slapped together, and production was just a whole post production. You know, like that's how this movie got made. But we'll yeah, see. Fair the trailer. I just got tired of watching the trailer yet, which is always a good sign. If yeah. I never, if I never see the "Don't Worry, Darling" trailer again, so much the better. Okay. Well, yeah. you mentioned Patton Oswalt in there. Um, I forgot to mention that Patton Oswalt voices a Raven in the Sandman. That's mm. fun. Only he doesn't do any like voice acting with it. He's literally just talking like I'm talking right now. It is clearly Patton Oswalt. It is just him talking like he's reading cards, and you know he's you know acting as he would, but it is Patton Oswalt as Patton Oswalt. And it's really annoying. Like, voice actors are voice actors. So you don't have to just find whatever celebrity is a Neil Gaiman fan to have him voice the damn bird. Yeah, there's a huge amount of people who are like actually really talented voice actors and not just famous people. Like, all credit to Patton Oswalt. He's done lots of good stuff in his career, but I don't know if he can do more than one voice. Uh, my next thing is two things, kind of. Uh, a League of Their Own. Very briefly on the TV show, I've only seen the pilot of it. The pilot is like a C-plus show in a B-plus environment. I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to stick around to watch a C-plus show. There's too much other good TV out. If you're not immediately grabbing me off of the premiere or the pilot, or the first couple episodes or whatever, then I just don't have time. There's only so many hours in a day. The movie uh, just recently played here in Atlanta, and I took uh, Shane's older child to see it. He had already seen it, but still. Uh, we saw that on National Cinema Day when all tickets were $3. Still a really good movie, you'll get their own. From 1992, filmed partly at Evansville. Framing device, bad. <laughs> movie is not perfect. Legal of their own is a solid, very strong B+. But the framing device, uh, before and after the movie, where like the old, the older versions of the of the 1940s era players come back to the Baseball Hall of Fame to reunite, uh, no good. Real bad. The actors that they got, no good. The dialogue they give them to say is just like recap of the movie we just saw. And the Madonna song is that that like is plays over the end credits. And the really funny, not funny, the really like um impressive footage of these like 70-year-old women playing baseball at like normal speed. The Madonna song that plays over that scene would be appropriate. If, like, all those old women hurt themselves while they were playing and, like, oh, well, this time in our lives is over forever. got to leave it all behind. But instead, they're, like, running really fast for, like, 70-year-old women to fir- down the first baseline. 
beginning and end, League of Their Own, bad. Everything in the middle, really, really good. Rosie O'Donnell so is a star. You... Madonna is fine. Gina Davis is, uh, like, she should have won an Oscar for that role, probably. She's just such a incredible... <laughs> As someone who everything comes easily... Like, the character in the movie is someone who ev- that everything comes easily for, and they cast the exact right person, because this seems like... Uh, the most beautiful, most talented woman in the world at that period of time, Gina Davis. Riley, you going to jump in there? Yeah, so when you put League of Their Own in your notes, I thought you were talking about the new series, which I, I also much, yes. went most of... I don't think I even got 100% of the pilot out. out. For a fan of the movie, uh, you know, as you and I clearly are, um... The tone is not the same. Um, I was expecting more of a basic series version of a retelling of the movie. It's clearly not the same thing, but the characters in it gave me nothing to latch on to through that one episode. So just much like you, I was not sticking around. Movie, love the movie. You're right on the beginning of the end. I like the Madonna song, but yeah, totally you're right. It's, it's a little sad. M- movie's great. I like the old ladies at the end. Uh, I watched a little bit. I also, I don't think I finished the pilot of the show. I think you nailed it on that just like, there's just too much other good TV. I I think the the real like flaw of the series is it's a period piece that the dialogue does not feel at all like it was written for a period piece. Like it just feels like modern dialogue, the way we would talk about these issues about women in sports and things like that like it just didn't do that extra level of craft i think that is needed and and it's also like it's re it's remaking a pretty perfect movie so it's i don't know my investment in it was already doubtful yeah i like the cast i like abby jacobson pretty much in everything she does Mm -hmm. uh from broad city but uh, I yeah I I just needed I just needed it to leap off the screen more than it did and it didn't like the the montages in the movie are are great those are like top tier sports montages and I think each one of them is like backed by big band music which is just extremely percussive and and propulsive and uh like like I I was watching Shane's larger child just like lean forward in his seat during that and there were like a lot of kids in the in the theater and everyone was just having a great time and uh the the tv show didn't have anything like that uh riley what's your next thing um i'm gonna leave rings of power to pierce because he's smarter than i am and we'll probably talk about mm-hmm. it better um oh thanks for agreeing um, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go with the boys the other amazon property um I'm not even sure how many seasons they've finished now, whether it's three, four, or whatever. Um, I mean, I think everybody knows what it is. It's, you know, the what if superheroes were dickheads. Pretty well done. I think my biggest problem with the boys is I think most people who are big fans of the show don't understand that it's written as kind of anti-fan of those, of that type of genre. And, like, you know, the people, it was just in the news the other day, the uh, 
the fanboys uh, sexualizing uh, the girl who plays Starlight and like her being very uncomfortable in public um, at her public appearances around a lot of the fans for the show. It's like that's kind of what Seth Rogen was trying to mock, I think, at least how he claims it. Um, maybe he doesn't write it well enough to to show that or you know, almost the Starship Troopers effect where, yeah. you know, it's the message think, is one thing and the fans take their own message from it a little bit differently. Yeah, we've got a long, long, long tradition of people reading movies or TV shows incorrectly. It sounds like this is just another. I have, I've never seen this show, but it sounds like this is another one of those examples. There's enough absurdity and... um you know, there's you know there's an episode in this one, the hero gasm. That's um, where all these superheroes from years and years get together for a huge orgy, and it's just off off the walls ridiculous. And and you see just lots of weird shit. Like there's a guy who shrinks and then explodes inside somebody's dick and blows him up, um, kind of Ant Ant Man style. Um, it's uh. There's some crazy shit in it, so it's yeah. definitely. I would say I would recommend this one, unlike Sandman, but um, uh, you know, not an A show, but it's a the show show worth to watch. You get enough chuckles out of it. I've heard good things, and uh, there's a a film critic who wrote a book kind of about the same thing, where like superheroes prep people for authoritarian governments. Is like Peter Suskind is the author. It's been in my Amazon wish list forever, so I scroll past it a lot. Mm. Any 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 show that or movie, and I think this is part of why I like the Batman as much as I did. It's like any show that says maybe our obsession with superheroes isn't a good idea. Not only from like a what are we missing standpoint, uh, like uh, like could other stuff be made instead of these movies and TV shows, but just like what are the values of this thing? Uh, these supermen and superwomen solving all of our problems. And that's that's kind of always drawn me to the show as well as like the ultra violence of it, which I'm always a fan of generally. Uh, I just, I don't have an excuse. Prime, I never hit the Prime button on my Xbox. I know there's a lot of good stuff on there, but uh, that's probably my least used streaming service. Just describing that two sentences of what hits you, the, you know, ultra violence and critical of our love of heroes i mean it's a super corrupt uh, corporation um that's kind of that all these heroes work for and the heroes are mostly horrible so all right pierce you seen the boys you know i i haven't watched it and i i, I know i would like it like it's really the top of the like i hear it's very good but i I just feel like I get I get the idea. Like I just every time I'm about to fire it up, I'm like, superheroes. What if they were bad? Like I, you know. But I know it's better than that. I just have, not, especially at this point, I just haven't had the time commitment to say, let let me let me dive into these three seasons. So at some point I will, but it it kind of feels like the one that's passed me by. Beerus, what's your next thing? Uh, well, let's if we're talking Amazon, let's let's talk Rings of Power, um, and and I'll how about at the end of this, I'll give my House of the Dragon thoughts as well because I mm -hmm. just cannot watch either of these shows without 
comparing it to the other. But I mean, I'll start with Rings of Power, which I surprisingly I like more than I was expecting I would. Um, I'm I like the Lord of the Rings movies are. I grew up with them. I love them. I'm an extended editions guy at this point. Um, I've read some Tolkien, but never. I'm not like deep, deep Tolkien head. But I like. I've I've gone through phases where I'll I'll watch a lot of explainer YouTube videos. So like, I know some of the lore and the mythology. But like, the show like. I'm intrigued by the larger mythology. I'll say like in comparison to House of the Dragon, like I think it's a tougher episode by episode watch but it's got more of a big picture appeal to me like i'm i'm interested to see where the show goes and how much of the tolkien lore it it goes through you know like i'm in for that ride but i will say like there are parts of episodes where i'm watching it so far and there's only been i think three uh like three hour plus episodes and it's like it's not the best show like it's not the most well-written and it's not the most well acted and it certainly has a lot of money on screen but i waver between whether i feel it looks like a video game cutscene versus like millions of amazon's dollars like I, I i i waver between that i don't know but ultimately it's got something to it that i'm just drawn to i think it's I think it's got to do with the high fantasy aspects. Like, I'm not a big high fantasy guy, but I think Tolkien does it really well. I think the source material is really good. And then I also just think there's, like, a... Not, like, a wholesomeness to it, but... It's it, it it's themes and its characters are more, like, broad and archetypal versus something like a Game of Thrones, which is, like, subverting those, mm-hmm. you know... All of that stuff, and I kind of just like how it's like, it's just like a fastball down the middle. Like, there's no flash to it. Like, it is a story about knights and el, or sorry, not knights, but like men and elves and dwarves, and it is good versus evil, and and that's it, you know. So I I I like it so far, but I, you know, once you once you look at the price tag that Amazon paid for it, like. I don't know if this is the best product I would I would expect, but like so far I like it, um, which is shocking I think in some ways. It's like two hundred fifty million for the first season. It's, is that the number I saw? Well, it's a billion because what? a lot of it had to do with with um, buying the rights. Jesus. Okay, so a hundred million dollars an episode. <laughs> Yeah. There, so like there's is it definitely a lot of money on screen and and like what you were saying is how does it look? It it does have a lot of what the original what the original Lord of the Rings series had in that it almost had a soap opera y film mm-hmm. quality. Um and that's just the style that they shot it with and I think they kinda kept a continuance of that. You know, it doesn't look bad. Like once you kind of sit with it for a while, like like in the most recent episode they they arrive at this like you know mythic uh, city, this island, Num- Numenor. If you're a Tolkien head, um, okay. and they they arrive at Numenor, and it's but it's this huge, expansive like island, and in at first it does just like even the way the camera's moving and how it's like this like establishing shot, like it really looks like you've just like like entered a new town in a in a video game, you know. But then like as it goes on and you kind of like 
float through the city and you see like the level of detail really is there. And, and I do think that's impressive. Like that is something that this show has going for it that I think House of the Dragon is really missing, which is that like it is taking us like all around this world and it is showing us and, and again, like creating, even though they're like CGI, you know, fests on screen, like it is creating this world and taking us to it. And, I, and that's what you want from a fantasy show, you know? And, like, House of the Dragon is not doing that right now, at least for my, like, it is a show that is set indoors in, you know, at the at the meeting table or whatever they call it. Like, mm-hmm. that's the majority of that show right now. And, and it, how, uh, Rings of Power is kind of offering something different. He, it was either leaked or I kind of think it's better if he put it out himself. But, like, Jeff Bezos put out the 12 key bullet points to making a successful television show. Mm. And it was just like the most basic list of two or three words uh, per bullet point possible, like compelling characters and a little bit of humor. It was, it was use- mm-hmm. completely useless, uh, but exactly the kind of thing that someone like him, like this, why isn't this easy? Why aren't the people I'm hiring? Why can't they make good shows? Here, I'm going to do it for them. This is all the stuff you need. It just totally makes sense, like, psychologically from a grotesque billionaire's perspective. And, yeah, combined with uh, my hatred of that, plus all the money they're spending, plus the cast of... Uh, the the lead is from St. Maud, so she's got a lot of buy-in from me. She's like, I've, I've bought her stock or whatever. Uh, but I couldn't tell you anybody else that's in the cast. And like, okay, fine, maybe you're going to mint some new stars, but maybe they're just not very good. So I kind of thought this had the stink of failure all over it before it came out. Um, in the same way that like I kind of hope Avatar is not going to work when that comes out in in the next few months. But it does seem like people are pretty positive on the show as a whole. I th- I think it serves a fan base very well which is like if you're looking for something again like i don't mean this even in a bad way necessarily but like if you're looking for something a little more traditional than like house of the dragon or game of thrones like if you want that classic tolkien you know story like it's giving that you know it's it Mm -hmm. and they put a lot of money into creating it and it looks like based on the way they're telling the story they are prepared to tell like the full story i've listened to and watched a lot of like youtube tolkien people you know talk about this show and just like go into the lord of the rings and like they always would i think a real tolkien head would say like you know the movies were pretty limited in scope like even though they're these huge long movies you know you need a multi-season series to really tell the history of middle earth right and like it seems like this show is committed to doing that like it I don't know how they plan to do like time jumps and and scale of you know how because what the, the story they're telling is over thousands of years but it, they'll probably condense that but like it seems like they're just down to be like we're we are making this like core token text into what the fans want for it, it seems like and and I think that's working for some people. Sean, working for you? Yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Um... I would probably like it a little bit accelerated more. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would say for if you are 
hey, I think the movies are B, B minus. I like them. And that's my only experience with Tolkien. This show's probably not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the movies a little bit more than B, B minus. And I'm, I don't know, I'm okay with watching things that are pretty on screen. So I, I'm going to keep giving it a shot. The lady elf that is the lead is definitely the best actress on screen that they have. Yeah, and she's the only person I... Is this the case for you too, Pierce? Where you don't recognize or know of anybody in the cast? I, so I, I I would frame it as like it's not that I don't know anyone in the cast, but I feel like I recognize a lot of them, and so I'll like do some I'll do like a I'll do an IMDb while I'm watching and be like, oh yeah, I guess that person's in like a thing I've seen once. Like no one, no big stars in that sense. Mm-hmm. The the Queen Regent. Um... Yeah, of the island nation i want to just call not rosario dawson um, <laughs> yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of that i do and, and they like they kind of had to cast into these like you know like there's elves in the show so like there's there's you know there's one character who's playing a younger version of hugo weaving's character from lord of the rings mm-hmm. and like i don't think he really looks like hugo weaving but like they clearly were like here's what elves have to look like so we gotta like you know so they're like there's like a recognizable kind of face and style to some of the people, but for the most part, I, I don't, I don't think I know any of them. Okay. Hmm. Uh, they did manage to get from HBO, who I thought was like the best creative mind uh, behind Game of Thrones, Brian Cogman. I don't know if he's show running it or if he's just writing episodes. Um, and they also got a Breaking Bad slash Better Call Saul writer. So it does seem like they have a good a good staff cast or no that at least is like giving them good plots and potentially like dialogue to say. So uh, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll get to it. It's, just I, not, it's not high on my list necessarily, but it also doesn't feel like it's, it's like taking up a lot of cultural space either where like, I, I feel like I should watch it or like feel obligated in any way. It just seems like a nice bonus for people that want to get toilet paper the same day. Yeah, it's to tie it into House of the Dragon, like to, to I guess to segue this combo, even if we want to go. Sure, into that's that. fine. Yeah, that's but fine. like like this, it, it just is such a pain to me in some way that these are on at the same time. Like it just really is biting up my podcast time because mm-hmm. now like like Rings of Power comes out on Fridays and House of the Dragon Sundays, so it's like. Saturdays, I spend my time like listening to like recap pods of the Lord of the Rings show and then like preview pods for the throne show. Like, it's just like I, I really think it would be it obviously would be maybe more popular if they weren't on at the same time. And and HBO like totally knew what they were doing premiering House of the Dragon like two weeks before. Like, that was my next question like, who does who put this release date down first? Because like someone is trolling. Yes. No. Uh, uh, um, I believe Rings of Power was set, and then uh, HBO was like, (laughs) and it worked. Like I good for them. Before the first episode, before the first episode of Lord of the the Rings show came out, I was like, am I really going to watch two of these things right now? Like, am I really ready for that? And it's it's a bit of a hassle. I'll I'll say it, but like maybe a testament to Rings of Power that I'm I'm sticking with it. Um, But to talk about, I guess House of the Dragon here, like. Yeah, we we spend a lot of time talking about House of the Dragon, but Pierce, you haven't been on either of those podcasts yeah. yet. So yeah, just just to get out your 
your thoughts general, about it so yeah, far? Yeah, right? general feelings. Like, and, and again, in comparison, like the way that like I am into the large scale story they're telling in Rings of Power. Like, I want to see where they're going. House of the Dragon is like the inverse, where like episode when I'm watching an episode of it, I'm like, oh, this is you know, it's well written, it's elevated, it's it's they, these characters, you know. They're, they're they're keeping me going at least but then like once an episode ends i'm kind of like where's the show going that i'm supposed to be like intrigued i'm not that sold on the on the overall story of it uh i think it it currently feels like just just more game of thrones but we already got game of thrones like i watched seven seasons of that and i spent like a decade thinking about it and I just don't really know if the show is giving me more in like a, is there more meat on the bone kind of sense? I think the characters are a bit like one dimensional. Like everyone kind of has their one core dynamic or characteristic. And what Game of Thrones did really well was like, it had all of these desperate threads that interconnected and tied together and all these things. And the House of the Dragon just doesn't really have that yet. It's pretty, I've heard the word claustrophobic used a lot with it. Like, so far we're really in just, like, one location with a smaller group of characters. And so it is, I, I still am watching it and enjoying it. And, like, I thought this last week's episode was, like, pretty provoking in, like, an interesting way. Like, we're getting into the incest, you know? Like, that's interesting. But ultimately, like, I don't. I don't, I, the show needs more scope to it. Like, it needs characters outside of this place to give context to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if, I, I guess maybe we can cut this off if this is getting too into the episodes, but, like, if two characters who are related are, who are royalty are going to, like, get caught in a brothel, like, almost fucking each other, like, I need some reaction from the outside world on that, you know? Like, they... They treat it like it's just like another political piece of intrigue. And it's like, this is like, I don't know. I just don't feel like we're getting the full picture of this show. We are just mm -hmm. getting another royal drama within Westeros. And I just I wanted... Kind of, I, this is we'll this get, has kind of been our complaint with okay. our dedicated House of the Dragon podcast, too, is that, like, I'm I'm very into the palace intrigue at this point, at this very early point. That was often my favorite part of Game of Thrones, especially mm -hmm. when it was an extremely chintzy, low-budget, pseudo-Renfair show in its first couple seasons. Um, but I, and I don't, I don't, I haven't read the backstory or the history or the like the the book that mm -hmm. the show, that this that this show is about. I don't think it's ever going to be anything more than like who, which of these Targaryens is going to be in charge. I, right. the, I I leave it open to the show, and it, and I've, I haven't seen the, light, the latest episode, but like through three episodes, it has kind of tiptoed into what do people who are not at the supreme height of the society think about anything? There's a tiny little bit of that. Maybe there'll be more in the future, but there doesn't have to be. I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think the show can just decide to make these I, what I think are going to be extremely spectacular, like dragon on dragon fights. For like two or three seasons, and that might be enough. But I, I don't disagree with you in that. Like, it there does need to be more to the show. the The weakest part of the show to me is when, and they 
I, sorry, I didn't realize you hadn't seen this last one. So there's a it's spoiler fun. that there's some incest. Um, you can you Shock. can try and guess who it is. Uh, um, but uh, they also bring they they <laughs> mention it again. Get again too. <laughs> it's not it's not who you pictured. No, it is. Okay, um, great, fantastic. But the in this recent episode again, they bring up the prince who was promised Targaryen. Like yeah, and and that to me is them attempting to give some overarching big picture story to this show. And it's just an utter misstep. Like that is so uninteresting to me. I just don't, I don't know why they think that's going to propel this show or give it momentum. It just simply, that's, I do not want to watch another show that is people saying winter is coming because we did that with game of Thrones and, and honestly the ending was not great. So it's just like, why are they trying to, do that again i don't know you know to, to like reiterate uh my thought on that and then we can we can move on just like that is the show putting its nickel down on who the audience should root for i.e rhaenyra because mm-hmm. she knows about because now she has a greater goal other than i would like to be queen and uh i mean there isn't a queen we know that through game of thrones there never was so it's like giving her this arc of like tragic noble failure, presumably. And again, I don't know how the show ends up, but like I do know that there's not a queen. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's it's something in like the nature of prequels, you you kinda there there has to be some added element of here's why you're sticking around for the ending. Because ultimately we know where this ends up and it doesn't super matter, you know, like it we watched the show after this and we know how those events unfold. And I just yeah. don't, I just don't know if they've done, I agree with you that they, the intrigue, the like political intrigue so far is, is good, but I think it's just missing that extra element. Something that the original game of Thrones did better than anything else. Like that's what it was able to do is like take all of this, this big chessboard and keep all the pieces moving and all the, like, I don't know, I, I'm losing my analogy here, but, like, there was always something to engage with. And it just, this one is fizzling out slowly for me. Okay. Uh, I thought this Sunday was the best episode of the four so far um, mm-hmm. for a lot of the things it brings. And it makes me more and more sad that we only get one more episode of Millie Alcock, who's the MVP of the series. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, okay, so then, as far as we're concerned, Riley, like, each episode is getting better and better. Yes. So, it does give me hope for the show, and, but... And is, is it because they really are getting better, or is it because it's giving me the feels of when Game of Thrones was good? Sure. And it's just the nostalgia. Um, but, I mean, not to spoil the episode for you, um, the... There were some int- some of the uh, small small people intrigue early, and and some of the uh, producer of, for the horny people stuff in it later. Um, but it's just really okay. Funny I mean, uh, that didn't even have dragon fighting. Yeah, great, building it up. Uh, something else that improves from start to finish is the movie Barbarian, uh, number one at a very pathetic box office weekend. And uh, this is a horror movie from a director I'm not familiar with. Uh, it might be his debut. Uh, I'm not going to get into the premise at all because this is a horror movie that escalates and then escalates some more with stuff that you can't really 
see coming in any way. Uh, it's not cheap in those developments. It, it all makes sense, but uh, boy, oh boy, does it escalate. Uh, this is uh, Georgina Campbell is the main character. She arrives at night in Detroit at an Airbnb house that very much looks like an Airbnb house. It's very standard, uh, a standard like two, two and a half, uh, two bedroom, two and a half bath house uh, that looks exactly like you would expect it to look like. And there just happens to be another, it's been double booked. There's another person in there, uh, played by Bill Skarsgård. Uh, Justin Long shows up a little later in the movie. Uh, and as far as far as the plot that I want to get into, it's just how 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 do they resolve this like modern day uh, uh, like social faux pas, and then things develop as they uh, explore the neighborhood and the house, and and the movie goes on. Uh, I saw this in maybe a quarter full theater, and I had two teens on like I, maybe an afternoon date next to me, the girl kept whispering to her boyfriend, I would like to leave. <laughs> and they never did. <laughs> and in front of me, I had uh, the classic middle-aged black woman who, who 100% did yell at the screen <laughs> as things were happening. It was so much fun. The movie is out of its mind. It's, it's a really good horror movie. And you know it's a good horror movie when you are able to feel something for uh, the 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 thing that you know goes bump in the night. So it works on a lot of levels. I'm not going to talk too much about it because the experience of watching it is really something. Uh, and if you can, it it might have died down by now. It only made ten million dollars, so that's not like not like crazy tiny budget horror movie numbers, but maybe it'll stick around. Who knows? Seeing in a movie theater with people was a huge selling point to this movie. I don't usually do that. Again, I saw three minutes of lengthening by myself in a theater. Not that people would have been hooping and hollering during like a, uh, what happened to these Holocaust victims documentary. But uh, I don't go in there. An empty theater. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, the experience in Atlanta of watching Barbarian in a reasonably full theater, so much fun, so much fun. I heard it, I heard it was good, and it's a it's a go into it as blind as you can, you know. Don't yeah. you don't want it spoiled? So yeah, that's the first that's, ten minutes is, is yeah. all I talked about. A lot of fun, uh, Riley. Your last thing. So the last thing on here, um, I posted about it on our Facebook group the other day is Moonfall. Um, Halle Berry movie just came to HBO Max this weekend. I believe it was in theaters and bombed um, really, really badly. It was terrible. Like, maybe the worst movie that was trying to be a good movie that had a big budget I've seen that I can name. Like, worse than, was that, Jupiter Ascending? Mm. It's, it's terrible. Um, so the premise of Moonfall is... I think it's in the title. That, <laughs> well, yes. Um, well, Samwise, or not Samwise, uh, Samuel Tarley is one of the main characters. I uh, don't know his name in real life. Um, it discovers that the moon's orbit has changed and it is getting closer to the Earth. And um, NASA also makes this discovery, and Halle Berry is 
becomes the acting director of NASA and through a turn of events, her and one of her old partners and Sam, who is not involved in NASA, but is some crackpot YouTube conspiracy scientist, um, have to go up to the moon and discover that the moon is crashing to the earth because um, billions of years ago, um, a ancestors of humans i'm just going to spoil this movie because it's that's fine terrible billions of years ago ancestors of humans seeded the moon and sent it out into the galaxy because they had developed the perfect society that was run by this artificial intelligence that then turned on them and was then destroying everything so they managed to get this superstructure built inside the moon to spread throughout the galaxy and this in our moon was the only one that achieved its goal of spread finding the right area to spread life um and you know it turns out that a benign artificial intelligence is what spread the life and was still trying to protect society against this evil artificial intelligence that was hard that was hunting hunting down the moon and going to destroy it all <laughs> Um, the, moon. <laughs> the premise is terrible. The performances, you know, Halle Berry is your main character, are terrible. God, it was so bad. Like I, I immediately wanted to look to see what the Rotten Tomato score was. It was, and I was utterly shocked that the audience was seventy percent, which that's self-selecting morons. Of course, um, yeah. audiences are are morons. But to, the, to, a, to a member. The critics were 36%. That is higher than I thought. And like some of the reviews acted like, oh, this is one of those movies that's just so bad that it's good. And some of them almost thought that the movie was in on the fact that it wasn't good. No, it was just fucking terrible. Um, it, it, so one of my favorite pastimes of the early days of the MMC would be when we would all pick a terrible movie. Mm -hmm. some friday or saturday night cue it up and hit play at the exact same time and then facebook chat while we all got drunk this movie would have been perfect okay i mean that might be the best thing going for it i think this movie already made its way through my bad movie podcasts that i listened to and uh yeah well I, I this sounds like a roland emmerich movie roland emmerich it is a roland emmerich movie. okay yeah yeah i haven't seen one of his Ooh. movies since Godzilla, I think. I never saw 2012. And I don't know, I'm sure, or like Independence Day 2. I'm sure there's others in there, but just like standard destroy the and world I, type stuff. I think I read that it was like crowdfunded. It was like the most expensive privately funded movie ever made or something. And it, was, it had like a $128 million budget. Jeez. It was just something ridiculous. And it was, it was terrible. Okay. Uh, it was so Pierce? bad, I really want you to watch it. Yeah, well, I mean, Pierce, have you seen Moonfall on a I Have Nothing mm. Else to Do period in your life? No, you'd think I would have, but no. Uh, it does seem like Roland Emmerich is in a rare category of bad, where it's not fun bad, it's just bad. Like, this in 2012... Um, I'm trying to think. I can't even think. There's one in between other... there where like Andy Garcia is the president. The day after tomorrow. No, 
Because oh, I think he did that too. That's like an okay one. But either way, it's like this movie should be fun, bad, like I don't know, Armageddon or something in that you know realm. And mm-hmm. it sounds like it's not. Um, what was the one? Geostorm. There you go. That's it. Geostorm was not Roland Emmerich, but that is a good, fun, bad movie. That movie rips. This <laughs> seems like it 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 misses the fun. Okay. Uh, watch Geostorm, maybe Hell not yeah. Moonfall. Uh, my last thing kind of fits in that rubric as well. Uh, the Running Man played at a theater here last night. Or not mm. last night, uh, Sunday night in Atlanta. I had never seen this movie before. It's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a convict in, in, <laughs> in the year 2017 when everything has gone to shit. And uh, he gets, because he's such an alien of a man who doesn't belong in any milieu anywhere. Uh, he gets selected by uh, the most popular game show in the dystopian future, the running man where he has to, uh, it, it's a killer be killed type of show that everybody in America or what is America in 20, in the terrible, terrible year of 2017, uh, it, the most popular show there. Everybody loves it. Well, well, it's an alternative to a prison sentence. You go on this game show yes. for for prisoners to try and win their freedom. Yes, although uh, we, of course, learned that no one ever actually earns their freedom. They just get, I don't know, burned up in a locker room. It's it's unclear. It's a it's a stupid movie. <laughs> it's reasonably fun. the The futuristic version of any period is always reasonably fun to uh, to see what people are thinking the world is going to look like. Like, It's not that phones are going to lose their cords. It's it's that the receiver is going to get really slender and uh, sleek looking, but it's still going to be connected to a cord from a, or it's going to be connected to the handset, you know, from a, to a cord and computers are going to remain or continue to be terrible. And the futuristic version of, uh, <laughs> of an opera singer is a guy with a light bright stuck to his chest wearing tidy whiteies. Arnold Schwarzenegger, like this, is well into his period of we're going to give this this obviously uh, Germanic guy the most American name possible. I want to say his name here is Ben Richards. You're and, correct. Yeah, and his his like I just murdered someone quips are especially bad here. And of course, a woman who like did not know him, we'll say twelve hours previously, is making out with him by the end. It's a classic, muscly '80s movie that I don't, I don't have a lot of experience with. This like your Cobras and your Commandos, and I've only seen one. I've only seen the good Rambo. I haven't seen future Rambos where they totally lose the plot. I don't have a lot of comparison as far as like muscly '80s movies go. The Running Man very much seemed right down the middle as far as what you can expect from from that specific, very of its time genre. Uh, Riley, you've got some experience with The Running Man, it sounds like. I've seen this movie at least ten times. Um, <laughs> it, it is an all-timer. Uh, I think The Running Man knows exactly what it is. Um, it knows it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger delivering cheesy one-liners. Um, it's got Richard Dawson hamming it up as like the most amazing, corrupt game show host you could possibly have. It's it I put it, it's on par with Bob Barker's performance in Happy Gilmore. Um, <laughs> I love the idea that this game show host is like the most 
famous person in America, and he looks like Richard Dawson. It's like if Pat Sajak <laughs> was able to like say everybody vote this way, and then all of a sudden somebody gets elected. <laughs> Just of all uh, like the of all the famous people in this in this world, it's this guy. It's such a good movie. I love The Running Man. Uh, Pierce, uh, anything else? Uh, that that was our last thing. Any did we did we miss anything? Anybody want to throw some some praise or some derision on something? Reservation Dogs is my other favorite thing on TV right now. It's on FX on Hulu or both or neither. I don't know. But it, um, if 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 you haven't watched it, it's thirty minute kind of comedy dramedy about a group of teenagers who are Native American growing up in like Oklahoma somewhere on reservation, and it's I think it's just great like terrific television of just like 30 minute airtight like every episode is kind of a bottle episode about these kids and it just it's it's really really great so easy watch and rewarding the kid that plays bear on that show is a goddamn movie star mm. they're i think they're all great i really think one of the strengths of the show is i think they really do a great job of casting teenagers like they really feel like kids but like you're saying but are also like pretty great actors so i yeah it's good are the kid actors um natives are they indigenous peoples or are they uh yes yeah the whole most most of the whole cast is you know besides the rare like white person or bobby lee yeah i mean it's not i I, this is this came up i want to say during the first season it's came it's come up recently as well but like we've talked about it before on the podcast uh it's just a, like a part of their lives like a, a recent episode mm-hmm. had annoyingly indigenous people like show up at their reservation to talk about uh native pride and the show had a lot of the show was not fans of them and like it makes a distinction between like a like a a, like a really on your sleeve, like uh, it's hard to it's hard to explain. Like self congratulatory or like self promoting. Yeah, or even like virtue of, signaling. Yeah, yes, yeah, virtue signaling. Where whereas these kids, they're just this is just their lives. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a it's a part of their lives. It informs like how they mourn for people or uh, how they get together with family, but it's not like uh annoying in a way something like a league of their own is like the tv show was uh frankly a little annoying in how mm-hmm. everybody was a lesbian it does it does like what the best of tv does which is like for 30 minutes every week it just transports you to a different place in the world like yeah. it, and from a new point of view and it, it and not even in like a ethnicity or anything like a racial way like just like literally here is a part of our world that we just have never seen on television and it feels fully lived in and and you feel right you know, like yeah. you know exactly where you are. It's great. And also really funny. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Anything else? Anything else? Well, it sounds like in the last month we've talked about two uh, Native American cast and central pieces of film and TV, and they're two for two. So maybe we should yeah more more movies and shows about them. I can't remember what the exact saying is. It's like one's a coincidence, two's happenstance, three is a trend. So yeah, one more, and it's officially the year of the indigenous. <laughs> like someone can write that magazine piece. AV Club can swim in some free some free articles. 
that'll do us for this episode of what have you been what have we been watching and what have you been watching whybw yeah that's what we call these episodes uh i'm sure we'll do one of these again in the future we've started this chain up again uh in the meantime you can follow us on the internet at uh, mediacmovie.club our website uh currently we're discussing some of our all-time favorite movies uh, this last month, uh, well, we're in the process of uh, discussing and reviewing uh, The Big Lebowski and Team America World Police and Menace to Society. Uh, we'll be podcasting about that shortly. We'll be podcasting about the fourth and the fifth episodes of uh, House of the Dragon shortly. And then as far as the website is concerned, we'll also be continuing with our some of our favorite movies uh, for the next month and maybe the month after that as well. Uh, like us on Facebook at Medica Movie Club. Follow us on Twitter at Medica Movie Club. And uh, I think that'll do us for this episode, guys. Thanks for joining me. Have a good one. See you guys. Have a good night.